Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. So again, on behalf of Patty and Amy and Annie and me, we want to again express our, our deepest gratitude to President Trump. Like I said, as a Republican president and a Democratic governor, he didn't have to do this. All right, that's enough, Blagojevich. Good Lord. Blago, I'm on a roll there. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. Before we get into this, we got to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and sponsoring our program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the Illinois Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. New song in three, two. Ben, you love the new theme song. Yeah, I like the new theme song. Uh, just one more time. Uh, we had a theme song for a long time, and then we got a cease and desist letter of sorts uh, telling us we were violating uh, violating copyright law. I did not know it was. I thought we thought it was in the public domain. Yeah, yeah. And know. we got a. I think the letter from the law firm of Dewey, uh, Suum, and Howe. Oh. Uh, you know that old fox. <laughs> oh, they got a million nine. of them. Catch them at Zanies this weekend, everybody. All right, hour number two. Let's go. The song. Oh. There we go. Oh, it's this one. New music coming, guys, all right? Tuesday. Mm, we got to pick up the pace a little bit with this oh, yeah, one. <laughs> this is like an Irish Spring commercial. <laughs> Actually, let's switch it. Okay. Let's do this piano one. There we go. Ah, this one's better. Like all right, one. here we go. All right. It is Friday, February 28th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, What's I so kind of like this song. I know you do like it. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show debut of Monica Gordon and Zach Kowski. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Love this song. Uh, you know, life goes on even after you lose uh, your songs. Anyway, Monica Gordon is tapping her toes to this song. She likes it too. Welcome to the show, Monica. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, Monica is running for state senator in the 40th district. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, all right. Let's first by, start by talking about uh, where the 40th district is so folks can just get a sense of uh, geographically the area you're, you, wouldn't want, you want to represent. So four counties encompass this district. So including South Suburban Cook County, that will be Floss, parts of Flossmoor, parts of Olympia Fields, most of Chicago Heights, most of Park Forest, University Park, Kankakee County, mm. including Pembroke Township, and also Will County. Well, Will County would be University Park, Creek, Piatone, Wilmington. And then um, Grundy County, which is Bradley and Bourbonnet. Yeah, so this is a large, diverse community. When I say diverse, I mean ethnically, economically, uh-huh. racially, the whole ballgame. Yes, yes. Uh, all right, now, tell folks a little bit about yourself and why you think you're the best suited to be the uh, state senator from this district. 
Sure. Um, I um, just took a leave of absence. I was the executive director for the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus Foundation. I've done that for over two years. Um, before that, I did um, some um, lobbying in Springfield. Before that, I did medical sales for about 11 or 12 years. Um, amidst all of this, I've always been a community servant. I'm someone who's heavily involved in my community. I, every Martin Luther King Day, I believe in pledging my time for service. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I have the ability to mobilize. I like to influence others to get out there and make a difference by making an impact, by doing something to help other people, to help your community. I'm very passionate about positive legislation that impacts our community um, and makes it better. As the legislative, um, I'm sorry, the executive director of the IOBCF, um, I did a lot of fundraising, um, a lot of managing with the nonprofit and I was exposed to legislation. I'm well versed in the legislative process. Mm-hmm. And I um, have a lot of great relationships in Springfield, resources of that nature. All right. Now, the incumbent, uh, the previous incumbent for a long time, it was uh, Toy Hutchinson. Yes. And Toy Hutchinson, and folks who listen to the show, she was a regular on the show. Uh, and then, then she became the cannabis star, and we haven't seen her since. Uh, the, uh, just because she's busy, I'm sure it's not. She doesn't hold it against us. Uh, so, is is Toy staying out of this election? Yes, uh, she's not endorsing anybody. No. But there's other candidates in the race, yes. and the uh, Democratic committeeman named one of them to fill a vacancy. Am I correct in that? Yes. All right. So, why didn't you get that gig? Well, I would say. Um Kankakee County um, had the largest, well, there's two committee men that vote um, from sub- South Suburban Cook County, um, Rich Township and Bloom Township. Also, there's county chairs. So Kankakee, Will County, and Grundy County, they had the majority of the vote, and they wanted someone who was from Kankakee, um, the son of um, a late senator was chosen. Mm-hmm. Did you petition to get the, the nominees or uh, their selection, or did you just stay out of that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I worked hard to um, be selected as the nominee. Um, we had a, um extensive appointment process. Mm-hmm. I think I did a great job um, describing why I felt like I was the right one for the position. I have a, a, a handle on the issues. I'm passionate about the issues. Honestly, I was doing service in this, this community, in this district long before um, Senator Hutchison resigned specifically in Pembroke Township, for example. I met with the black farmers in Pembroke Township at Black Oak specifically um, about some of the devastation that they face. Before World War II, they were the third largest manufacturers of industrial hemp. Um, Now they've been going, they don't have natural gas, they use propane in addition to that. um, Other problems, they don't have adequate water and sewage, they don't have a police department. And a lot of times poverty equates to crime. So, you know, they do have a uh, a problem in Pembroke Township. But this is a community, I don't want to make them sound like victims because they're rich in assets. Um, and so what I've done is I've tried to put together an advisory group, um, an, like an advisory council of the black farmers to bring that hemp industry back to Pembroke with considering the passage of the Hemp Act last year. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, cannabis is legal in the state of Illinois. But we're talking about hemp, not cannabis. That's correct. All right, correct. (laughs) So remember, the THC is extracted. So, you know, no, we're not talking about cannabis. And hemp is used for, as you know, has so many uses, thousands of uses. We're talking about clothing, rope, anything. Hempcrete. Right. But I'm just saying that if, if the THC 
infused one is legal than the non tea we should be promoting the non that's all i'm saying i'm not urging and advocating uh voters uh in your district to smoke cannabis although you know hey, if you do cool no judgment here no judgment absolutely uh and um so all right uh the the pressing issue that um i see it in the south suburbs and agree with me or disagree with me uh, has to do with the long-awaited uh, airport. And uh, a friend of mine who uh, may be in the studio right now uh, is looking at me nodding her head, uh, Delmarie Cobb, uh, my good friend, has just happened to be in the studio. But it I think it's by 20 years we've been talking about. Longer than that. It, so I've been knowing yeah. about it 20 years since I was an intern at WGN. But this is an issue that's been going on for Wait, about Wait, you were an intern years. at WGN? Yes, 20 years ago, right it, out of undergrad. Radio or TV? TV. Oh, TV. okay. Mm -hmm. you, for a while, you thought you wanted to go on, a, on television? Well, my undergrad major was in print journalism. So my best friend was on the um, plane with a woman named Karen Drew. She's a well, she, Now she's an anchor, but she was a reporter for WDIV, which is an NBC affiliate in Detroit. Uh -huh. And my she's a chatterbox like I am sometimes. So she's talking to her. They met. She gave her her card. And so I ended up doing an internship in Detroit that summer after undergrad. And I came and I loved it. So I came back and I did an internship with WGN and they brought me on to people to people. And so one day they covered the third airport, the South Suburban Airport, and they had um, Jesse Jackson Jr. and Reverend Meeks come in. So that was my first introduction to the South Suburban Airport. And that was 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Yeah, I remember the issue. Yeah, Jesse Jackson Jr., he was a champion of that issue. Uh, he got in a little bit of trouble, and he no longer was congressman. And I just don't hear that much uh, about the issue anymore. It doesn't seem like it's on the front page. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're well, ready to. right now, at this point, we're the closest we've ever been. It's about 90% completed. You mean 90% complete in terms of acquiring the land? Yes, yes. They have like 4,500 parcels. In addition to that, Prisker just gave $160 million for the infrastructure of the roads leading to and from the airport. So what does that mean? What do you think? It means, like I said, we're cl we're closer than we've ever been. And, and think about um, some of the um, some of the objections to the airport included the city of Chicago administrations, the previous administrations. This current administration, I'm not saying they're for the airport, but they have not stated they're against the airport. So that's promise. And like I said, with our governor putting money into this happening and we have the land it's almost to go and plus think about the five fulfillment centers that Amazon has already. They're going to build five more. We're almost there. Um, so when you say that the current mayor of the city of Chicago has not expressed opposition, you're uh, you're absolutely correct when you say there was opposition from previous mayors. I think the two previous mayors yes. were vehemently against it because they didn't want anything uh, that would take away from uh, O'Hare and Midway and the control they had over O'Hare. And this and won't take away from O'Hare and Midway. Think about um, we're a transportation hub. Why don't we have a third airport? This won't take away from O'Hare. Well, I think the fear that Chicagoans have, and take Chicagoans out of that sentence, the fear that our, our all powerful mayors have is that any airport outside of the city of Chicago. Uh, will bring in money that they won't get. And so, like, just, they're not thinking it like, well, people will come to Piatone, the South Suburban Airport, 
uh, that it would be would never go to O'Hare or Midway. They're thinking that it would be flights that would go into O'Hare or Midway if they didn't go to Piatone. They're not getting the revenue. The city's not getting the revenue. Less money, less power. They're against it. That's sort of been the the worldview of Chicago mayors. Well, as an advocate of the Southland and a South Suburban Airport, let me say this. Um, this will be an economic engine for the Southland. We've been forgotten. The Southland has been forgotten, and it's not fair. We need an opportunity to revitalize our community, and this is our opportunity. We're talking about 15,000 15, indirect and direct jobs at every skill level from day one, up to 50,000 by year 10. This is a no-brainer. We need to make this airport happen. And like I said, we, we've been left out in the Southland of so many resources. Mm-hmm. Now is the time. It's our time to have a piece of the pie, and we deserve that opportunity. Uh, as state senator, what would you do uh, to make it happen? Well, I will definitely um, continue to build with the Southland leaders. I would say that um, Congresswoman Robin Kelly has done a great job of garnering support amongst all the mayors in the Southland because pretty much every mayor in the Southland supports this airport and continue to get investment to get the rest, the remainder of the land purchased as well as additional infrastructure needed to make it happen. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other issues that you're championing in this campaign? Well, I did. I talk. The theme of my campaign is economic development and prosperity because I talked about how we lack resources in the Southland, mm-hmm. and we need our piece of the pie. So I talked about Pembroke Township. So, and I also talked about you know bringing the hemp industry back. So that's something too the, to revitalize the community. In addition to that, um, in Kankakee, so the more southern part of the district, um, the mayor of Kankakee is working on a riverwalk project. And this will be a great tourist attraction. You're talking about restaurants, things to do, just all types of developments in that area. So when you have it, when you have all these things in the district, it's all it's all together connected. Um, you can build more lodging in Pembroke. Um, and that won't be too far from the riverfront. We need to clean the Kankakee River because you want to, you know, it, that's a great, not only a water, a drink, a water drinking source, but you have a riverfront. You want to have a clean river to look at. Um, and all of this, all of this works together. The, the South Suburban Airport will provide jobs for all over the district, not just the Southland, but for the Kankakee part of the district as well. Is there any uh, overlap between your district and the city of Chicago? No. There's so you're completely outside of the city of Chicago. Yes. So talk about the relationship between the South suburbs uh, and the city of Chicago in general. I have a, some f- a feelings on it, but I want to hear about uh, your thoughts on it. It's always like South suburbs, are, like it just doesn't even exist. The land doesn't exist uh, it, from an economic development viewpoint. Like people leave Chicago, they're gone forever. They just... That's a Chicagoan's view of it. Is, do, you, do you think that's some, some accuracy to that? Well, and I, I do think that I stated before when we, we've been left out. We've been left out of the resource. We're forgotten about, and people are like, okay, there's nothing out there. Why would I move out there? And then some people are like, well, you know, I don't want to live in a city. You think about the crime. It, you And I think what we need to do is just get together and build together. But it's funny you say that, Ben, because I want to point out where you're speaking about the relationship between the city of Chicago and the south suburbs. Let's talk about this district in particular where you have the northern and southern part of the district they don't really like each other. They don't trust each other. They're look. They cook. They all of Cook County is is sometimes looked down upon by the other side of the district, and um, sometimes the southern part of the district is looked down upon in those in the south south suburban part of the district. And I think 
that's a problem. Mm -hmm. That's a problem because we need to build together. And really, we even though this area is so demographically diverse, we share the same issue. Mm -hmm. We have a common goal, and that's economic prosperity. We want a better quality of life for ourselves and our families. And it kind of reminds me of sometimes you have that um, bickering between a lot of elected officials in the Southland. Yeah, I said it. Um, You have some of that. And we we need to stop. We need to come together because the only way we'll build solutions, comprehensive solutions that will help all of us is to come together and build together and stop trying to, you know, build territory and isolate each other. We need to come together. And that's a great example. Well, I could tell you this. Uh, I, I don't think I should mention names when I do this little anecdote. But we did a venture out to your district, the district you're running in, uh, when I was at an old radio station. I can't remember the name of the station. They fired me. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but anyway, uh, we did this, uh, this show out there uh, in your district, and uh, it was set up by the local Democratic organization in Kankakee. All right, so we went out there. We interviewed a bunch of people from Kankakee. I thought it was a great night. I loved the people in Kankakee. We had a delicious memory we went out for dinner, D. Oh, yeah, yeah. catfish. Catfish in Kankakee. Had a great time. Came home. Got a call from a politician who remained anonymous. Gave me how you came to my district and you didn't tell me. I didn't even know, A, it was whose district it was, you know. Well, that sounds, that's a positive thing. That's a positive thing. That means they wanted to see you. Oh, okay. So that's not not something to look at negatively. They wanted to see you. Okay, I will take that positive spin, but I also I may say the same thing if I hear you come (laughs) come around my parts and don't give me a call. But it was more like you went and saw them and you didn't see me. It was more like there was a A division. And and they, uh, the side that invited me had not invited... uh, this particular problem, I'll do my best to, to not give away names and stuff. So I, I, I walked into the middle of just what you're talking about. And like my ignorance, I admit it, I did not know, you know, I'm a typical Chicagoan. It's just like all a blur to me. I uh, were Democrats down there and they were getting ready to run. Uh, and it was the 2018 cycle, I want to say. So they were going after, uh, it was Trump country and, you know, they're promoting democratic unity. And I walked into this, situation where there was a mini, 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 mini civil war, if you will. You know what I mean? But you you think you have the ability to... I do. I do. I'm a, a great mediator, and I have the ability to bring people together. I want us to unify so we can reach all of our goals. I think it's possible. Like in this diverse district, you have factory workers, farm workers, blue-collar workers, white-collar workers, low-wage workers, high-wage high workers. Let's all get together and build together. That's what I want to do. I want to do this all together. All right. Uh, you know, you're in the studio uh, since you talk about uh, bringing people together. I just got to broaden it a little bit. We spend so much time uh, in the studio talking about national politics. And whenever I have a, uh, a politician running for office or an elected official running for re-election, et cetera, I ask them who they favor in a presidential race. And uh, Monica, I guess you won't be surprised to know most of them say I'm not going to tell you Ben because I want like the Bernie people to vote for me I want uh, Elizabeth Warren people to vote for me uh, I'm trying to think of Pete Buttigieg people to vote for me etc and so but to forth. be honest with you I'm still undecided I'm between two 
I'll say that. Okay, but I won't that's say what, what to Okay, see, that's what another thing I make people do. Yeah, list their top this one. three. I, list your top. You don't have to put them in order. Just, But you're not going to do that. For the same reason I just said, you want everybody. Well, I, let me ask you this question then. Um, do you think you play a role in bringing the various factions of the Democratic Party together? We were talking about in all seriousness yesterday. Uh, I had two people on the show yesterday. One was a Bernie supporter, passionate Bernie supporter, and the other was more of a centrist. And uh, we've been talking about uh, some of the things that Rahm Emanuel has been saying uh, about, uh, <laughs> reason laughing, uh, about where the Democratic Party should go. And uh, just in general, you know, like, uh, Bernie's vision of where the Democratic Party to, should go. And I have this uh, sense, Monica, that the Democratic Party is heading for a, a very contentious convention, to put it mildly. If nobody comes out of this primary season with 50, point, 50 plus 1 percent of the vote, I don't know which where they're going to go. So do you think you could play a role in that? You talk about bringing different people together. Do you think you could play a role? I do. I do. And I would love to play a role in that because, like I said, we're the party of, I would say, um, family, morals. We're the party of the working class. And, you know, that's the foundation of the party. That's the foundation of the party. So whether you're a centrist, whether you're moderate or you're progressive, we're in this together. So, yes, I do. Did you have some experience that with the Legislative Black Caucus? Just my knowledge of the, the Black Caucus, there's a lot of strong personalities uh, in that group. They don't always see eye to eye, even though they're in a caucus. Did you have some uh, experience in that, in that way? Well, I would say um, I worked for the foundation, but I worked along closely with the caucus members. Um, you do have some strong personalities. You have great talent within that caucus. And, you know, um, what happens between family stays with family. I'll say that. And I would say that they work collect when it's all said and done, they work collectively to get things done, positive things done. All right. Very good. Monica Gordon is her name. She's running uh, in the 40th district, South uh, Suburban uh, State Senate District that used to be represented by Toy Hutchinson, who is now the cannabis czar. Uh, before I let you get out the door, Monica, any uh, uh, information you want to leave with, any websites, anything like that? Absolutely. I I need your help. I can't do this alone. I still need to fundraise. Um, I'm confident about my strategy moving forward. We only have two and a, two, really two weeks from Tuesday left. And I would love you all to go to my website, MonicaGordonForIllinois.com. You can sign up to volunteer. You can review my position papers. But please visit my website, MonicaGordonForIllinois.com. Whether it's a donation or volunteering, I, I would love for you to visit that website, MonicaGordonForIllinois.com. Very good. Uh, thank you, Ben, so much. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. Thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Uh, Zach Kowski's on deck. I love it when my guests come early. We'll be right back. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. 
arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Brom, let me take it to you from the beginning. Is Bernie Sanders unstoppable? He's the front runner. He's not. He is stoppable. I won't, I don't know, but I would say this: the moderates have to coalesce around one person. If you have a divided field, we've seen this play out in the Republican primary in 2016. If it does, if there is not kind of a singular mano a mano, then he's going to get the delegate. No indication the, that anybody's going to drop. No, I mean this is what's night. what's clear right now is that everybody has still a thread of a logic of why they should stay in either resource or delegate. And as long as that happens, he will continue to have 45% and make that makes a majority. I do think the people should take note, his entire strategy upends every, strat every electoral map that either President Clinton, President Obama, or the midterms of 06 and 2018 put together. It's a different theory of the case never been tested before nationally and never have been proven successful for any Democrat, either presidential or congressional majority. And if at Bernie Sanders, he did not increase the turnout in Iowa. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Eroding beaches on Chicago's lakefront, warmer winters in the upper Midwest, microplastics in our water, what can any one person do? I'll tell you what you can do, D. Our best hope for saving the planet and ourselves is through the power of we. That's we, W-E, not weed. Oh, we, okay. all, right? all right? I made that mistake the other you day. You made that mistake the other day. Get to the ninth annual One Earth Film Festival, the Midwest's premier environmental film festival, March 6th through the 15th. You want to know when that is? March 6th through the 15th. 26 films, 48 events, four counties engage with filmmakers and experts. Venues include Tesla Gold Coast, Loyola University, Plant Chicago, Old St. Patrick's Church, Chicago Cultural Center, Lake Theater in Oak Park, and more. Go to OneEarthFilmFest.org. One more time, D. OneEarthFilmFest.org. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times.
Zakowski in the studio. We're going to be talking organizing cannabis workers. Cannabis, not Reefer D. You got an update before we bring Zach on? Absolutely, I do. First off, uh, be sure to check out this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. We've been hustling after this week's shows. Uh, we got lined up. Well, we have two already recorded. Mm. We're recording one uh, after today's show. Uh, let's tell everybody about them. First up, we got a doctor for Bernie. Yes. Oh, my God. Pamela. Uh, Dr. Pamela from downstate Illinois. That was a great interview. Uh, you know, I never thought of doctors being for Bernie because I think of Bernie uh, as, okay, stereotype, like disheveled bums like me. Uh, <laughs> but no, they're doctors for Bernie. And she made a very compassionate and compelling and intelligent argument for why we need a Medicare for all. So I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, Dr. Pamela has been a doctor for many years. She's downstate, so conservative Trump country. She talks about it as an employer. She talks about it as a consumer. Uh, and she talks about it as a doctor herself. So a great insight on how uh, how the industry, the insurance industry, uh, just jacks up the cost of uh, medicine for everybody. And this is from somebody who has been in the profession, the medical profession, for a long time. She's a listener of the show. She weighed in. She, she what did she email? Downstate the, listener. Yeah, she said, hey, I want to come exist. in and talk about this. So downstate Love our downstate listeners. 618. 618. All right, so, so that's going to be on Saturday, a doctor for Bernie. And you know what? I would love to see someone find a more diverse show than the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show, all right? We talk about a lot of things. We had a guy bring gumbo in last week. Uh, we got a doctor for Bernie. And on Sunday, well, we're going to be talking a little theater. Isn't that right, Ben? Uh, yes. Uh, in the studio yesterday was uh, Dr. Uh, Charles Johnson, who's the author of just a, a, a very compelling novel, uh, one of the it was a National Book Award winner in 1990. Middle Passages talks about um, it's it's an adventure story about uh, a slave ship taking uh, going across the Atlantic on the Middle Passage. Uh, I read that book way back when, and it's being staged. It's turned into a play, and it'll be the Time uh, Line Theater. And so we were, uh, excuse me, the Lifeline Theater, and we were promoting it. Uh, and turns out that Dr. Johnson and I, Charles Johnson, were both Evanston residents, or we grew up in Evanston. So there's just, you know, me, we start talking local stuff and uh, talking race relations in Evanston. And um, it was a fascinating conversation. So that's Sunday. That's going to be available at 6 a.m. at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. And on Monday, Ben does an excellent impression of him. No words, but yet a fantastic impression. Our good friend Ken Davis returns. We're going to be talking with Kenny D. Okay, yeah. Well, he's going to say actual words. Uh, but uh, Ben, what do you plan on talking uh, with Young Ken? Kenneth. He's coming in after the show. A dear friend of mine, Ken Davis, has been in the journalism business for a long, long time. And last, what was it, Sunday, he convened a symposium on the future of journalism in the city of Chicago. He had all the... Big time operators were there. People from the Sun Times, <laughs> including <and> you. <laughs> yeah, you go, oh, Ben. Could you not show up? Uh, you know. Uh, anyway, so I, I didn't make it, but uh, Young Kenneth will be in the studio. We talk about the future of journalism, and you know what? Kenny D's in the studio. You know, we're gonna be talking politics. Absolutely. We'll probably do a little blago talk, knowing Young Kenneth, uh, and get his thoughts on. Uh, 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 Columbus Day gate. Uh, you know, I'm sure he's some funny things to All say. Right, and we're going to keep Day. Kenny D around after that interview, and he's going to join us for our Beyond the Column. It's oh, a brand yeah. new podcast that we're doing here on the Ben Jarofsky Show, where we take a deep dive not only on the latest column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Don't worry, I won't ask you the title of it right now. Uh, you, do you know the title? 
Uh, well, all good. Don't worry about it. We're going to take the deep dive on that. You got a lot going on in that brain of yours right now. No, I actually we're gonna, could probably uh, drag it up. We're going to take the deep dive on his latest column, which is at ChicagoReader.com. And also what we do is we take a deep dive on a column of Ben Jarofsky past. Turns out Ben's been writing these things since the 80s. So uh, I went through and I found a cool article that we can talk about. It's election season. So I found a good election season article we're going to talk about. It's beyond the column and all these bonus interviews at chicagoreader.com, chicago.suntimes.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. Sorry, live streamers. You got to find them. You got to download them. Subscribe. I'm done talking. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Zach Kowski in the studio. Zach, welcome back. Thanks for having me. And uh, you are the political director for the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Is that correct, Senator? Yeah. Uh, local, local 881 UFCW, uh, 35,000 members statewide, Illinois, and then a little bit in Northwest Indiana. All right. Uh, and the reason I dragged you into the studio is I heard you were organizing cannabis workers. But before we talk about that in particular, talk about in general who your members are. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, up in the Chicagoland area, uh, Jules, Mariano, CVS, uh, those are the primary uh, membership uh, employers that we've got. Uh, but we've got a ton of nonprofit uh, entities out there. We've got even we represent some workers at other unions, uh, front end kind of office staff like that. Downstate, uh, more Schnooks, Kroger's, Dyberg's and a couple independent grocers, and then food manufacturing increasingly as well. Gotcha. So grocers, food manufacturing. So how is this a transition into the cannabis industry? Yeah, so uh, UFCW nationally uh, was the first union to really even enter into this space um, over about 10 years ago. Um, and we did so just realizing that there's a lot of similarities between the folks that we already represent, the industries that we're in, and what the cannabis industry was going to be. Um, also, we came into it because of the equity uh, and criminal justice aspect to it as well. Uh, overwhelmingly, we're a very diverse union, particularly up in the Chicagoland area, majority female, majority minority on that end. So the equity expungement component to this was always going to be pretty central. And uh, however, we were going to advocate uh, for this just because we know the significant impact that that makes on our members and their families' lives. Um, but also then, you know, ultimately, it's a job and it's one that we um, really want to make sure that we, you know, give voice to those workers within that industry as we would in any other. Um, and so UFCW kind of came to it uniquely in that we were the first union to recognize this as like a legitimate group of workers to organize, um, but also then to make sure that those workers had similar access to our healthcare uh, and welfare and pension funds. Mm -hmm. And so we were opening those up to cannabis workers, uh, which, you know, even today are still kind of kept in the shadows from the legitimate economy, right? You have issues with banking and access um, to typical financial products. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, um, we legitimized that, made sure that they were able to buy into our plans and get really good family supporting coverage for healthcare, health and safety uh, funds. And then, you know, you can have a pension working in cannabis. Uh, what, what particular workers are we talking about? So would you say cannabis workers specifically, what are you talking about? Well, I mean, we would talk, you know, seed to sale, although you know, I'm learning, you can't say seed. Um, you know, those are all kind of the immaculate conception of cannabis plants here. They just happen to come down. There's <laughs> Wait, no seed. What, you can't, why can't you say seed? Um, because, well, you're not allowed to, tr where is the seed coming from? Where are you trafficking that in from? It would be across state lines. So it's actually, all the plants are really uh, clones. They're cuttings. I see. And then you, you propagate that. Can't so. you say metaphor? Metaphorically, seed to sale, whatever. Okay, sure, all sure. Right, all right. Except, yeah, you know, you're, you're picking your seeds out typically, right. you know. So, but um, I mean, so, you know, full gamut of the employment in this. So, um, most notably in Illinois, uh, UFCW last month won the first election. Workers won the first election um, in Illinois in the cannabis industry here. 
And that was at a, a large scale cultivation, production and packaging facility down in Joliet, Elwood area. Um, and those workers literally are everything from order fulfillment, packaging, extraction, processing, uh, infusion, edibles, um, down to, uh, you know, the folks that uh, answer the phone, you know, on that and uh, transportation maintenance within the uh, facility there as well. Unfortunately, it did not include, um, and this is something we're going to be working on going forward, it did not include the actual garden workers, the cultivators, uh, because that employer, as they've done elsewhere, um, said that those are agricultural workers and therefore they're not covered by the National Labor Relations Act. So you had a big group of really highly skilled, very technical uh, workers who are actually dealing with the product, right? I mean, without them, you have no cannabis industry. And uh, unfortunately, their employer was successful in challenging their ability to stand for the election, despite there were 16 members in that unit, and we had 14 of them sign cards. Um, and the uh, Trump NLRB, National Labor Relations Board, agreed with those empl that employer uh, and said, yeah, they're ag workers. They wouldn't be able to stand for an election. So that's something that we're definitely now using that experience and those stories of those workers, not only from that company, but from the industry writ large to say, we've got to revisit this because right, this is a growing segment. Let's just take a, let's pause for a moment to uh, just talk about the NLRB. Uh, if we can, like an educational moment here. Can you swear on this show? You're allowed no, to swear no. it's a podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not good yeah. right now. Uh, yeah. The NLRB uh, it governs disputes like this. In elections, it, it, it governs the election. Yeah, talk about, talk about how talk about the uh, how this matter came before the NLRB and what was the specific uh, issue that they had to address and what the vote was, all that stuff, so people understand how Trump impacts, yeah. appointees impact. This is something I wrestle with all the time because uh, many, um, <laughs> I'm supported by unions. I love unions. I'm in unions, but I know a lot of union workers. They'll say Ben, they like Trump. They'll tell me they like Trump or they don't care, they don't like the Democrats, or it doesn't matter, they don't see how the election uh, impacts them. And I'm always trying to talk about, well, judges and appointees, and yeah. it's it's not something as visceral, Zach, as let's say Trump getting up and denouncing, making fun of another candidate, or you know, uh, playing one group in this country against another group, but it has an impact on people's lives. Oh, I mean, he's pitting groups against groups. In this case, he's an employer class supporter versus the workers that he purports to you know, support and he's gonna be the champion for. Um, in case in point, as he is appointees to the National Labor Relations Board, which in America governs union elections, governs disputes within employer and employees. Um, and before you can, you know, well, and, and they even govern before you're an actual union member, unfair labor disputes. When you file that um, and unfair labor practices, you file it through the NLRB and if they're willing to take a critical view of an employer position and um, habit and practice um, or not, that directly impacts workers even before they're in a bargaining unit. And so we, in this election, and I should say it's with Cresco Labs, mm -hmm. uh, a large scale, one of the largest uh, cannabis companies in the country based here in Chicago. Um, we went into that election back last September um, with a majority of workers at this you know, huge facility that they've got down there, having signed cards saying there's workplace issues, we want a union, um, and we you know, are hoping that the employer would voluntarily recognize, not have to go through an NLRB-governed election. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, they did not take that approach, so they uh, forced us into an election. 
Um, but that NLRB, before we even got to that, the employer, as they're allowed to do in this, you know, 90 some year old labor law that, you know, we have to operate under in 2020, um, was able to challenge groups of those workers, units of those workers uh, to stand in that election. Mm -hmm. And so um, by and large, the employer said, okay, we understand order fulfillment, packaging, maintenance, um, you know, again, infusers, processors um, are, we, we will not challenge their ability to stand in the election, but we will challenge the garden workers, yeah. the people that actually grow, tend, um, and, you know, maintain the plants and the product. And um, we're going to do so because we're going to claim that they're agricultural workers. And again, this National Labor Relations Act that was passed in the 30s uh, is what we're still operating under today. Mm -hmm. And that was specifically passed in the 30s to deny black and Latino workers who, again, much more, you know, larger scale and uh, exploitative um, uh, agricultural industry uh, from having labor rights, from getting a little too powerful, right? Um, and so the compromise was agricultural workers are not covered by the National Labor Relations Act. Public sector workers weren't either, but almost every state, if not every state, has set up a public labor board mm -hmm. on that end. But um, so they were able to challenge and say, listen, these people touch plants, they, um, you know, they tend to them, they are, you know, operating as an ag worker, therefore they should not be able to stand in that Trump appointed majority on the NLRB agreed with the employer and said, we are going to deny these workers labor rights. All right. Now, was there a split vote? Were there Democrats uh, appointees who voted for the union? Uh, oh, on the NLRB? Yes. I, it was a, as far as I know, it was a decision that I, majority or not, but it was a decision that was fairly quickly uh, met and came down on the side of the employer. All right, let's break this workers. down. So you're talking 16 growers, correct? Yeah. This, this folks, this is how this works. So... Well, you, the overall unit was, uh, the ultimate unit that got to vote was 100, but we filed with, I think, 116 positions within that facility. Right. Non-supervisor, you know, management. So let's break this down. You have 116 total. Of the 116 total, 16 are the quote-unquote growers, agricultural workers. So what the operators of the facility uh, argued is as that because they're agricultural uh, workers, they're not, uh, they're not governed by the NLRB uh, sanctions, forcing them to, uh, or allowing them to have a union. And so they were just going to challenge their existential right to have a union. They brought in lawyers, I presume. Oh yeah. The, very anti-union lawyers. Very anti-union yeah. lawyers. So my brothers and sisters in the legalized cannabis movement, which I've, is all about, all about social equity and finally eradicating, you know, the divisions that have made this, entered what this uh recreational activity okay for some people to do not okay for other people to do. zach I, nobody has worked harder to make it legal than i have so you're welcome guys in the growth industry because i was knocking on the door before you guys were there uh they've arguing that the growers well the, you know technically uh, they're not their, their agriculture so they don't get to unionize. How much money are they saving by this? Like how much money, what extra would they have to pay their employees if their employees were unionized, do you know? Yeah, I mean, it's typically a third, a third more that a unionized employee in the same position would get more than a non-union employee. And that's not even considering the overall, you know, ancillary benefits of better, more affordable health care, um, you know, the ability to access a pension in addition to a 401k, um, you know, a defined benefit plan, right? I mean, what you pay into it is what you're going to get um, coming out of there. 
Um, and then, you know, obviously just the small D democratic voice on a job that if you think that you were unfairly treated by your supervisor or your manager, there's a process by which a contract governs mm-hmm. that, you know, um, write up or that, you know, discipline uh, to happen. And if it's BS, it's, you know, if it's bullshit, it's bullshit, it's yeah. tossed. Um, and so, yeah, the employer, um, you know, challenge it. That's the second time in Illinois that that's happened since um, the Recreational Cannabis Tax Act was signed into law in June. Um, there was a group of workers as well at a cultivation facility up in the Rock Island area where they um uh, were ultimately unsuccessful in their election by only four votes. But that was because, again, the employer was able to uh, remove the cultivation workers from standing in that election. If they had been able to stand in it, it would have been a, a, a successful election on behalf of the union. So these uh, cultivation centers, this this is the hill they're dying on. Um, it, not, not, not everybody. Um, I should say there are plenty of employers. You know, my union nationally represents over 10,000 cannabis workers. Um, one of the coolest parts coming into this was uh, last summer and fall, uh, myself and a couple of my colleagues from Local 881 traveled the country and went to union employers, cannabis employers in other states. And in every single one was a cultivation facility that had wall-to-wall union representation in it. Um, Here in Illinois, there are going to be, and there already are employers that have agreed that they will not challenge it. And that's kind of the unique aspect of where we are right now in this process of organizing within the cannabis industry. Um, we are very proud of the workers that stood tough uh, over months um, and ultimately won themselves an election in Joliet uh, by almost a two-to-one margin. I mean, it was a significant um, margin where the employer did not uh, challenge it. We're you know, looking forward to heading to the table to uh, knock out a contract here. But um, you know, the existing industry is treated differently under the law than the forthcoming industry. And I'll give you an example. Yeah, okay. In the forthcoming industry, uh, we lobbied and ultimately were successful on behalf of the union movement in Illinois, um, and not just UFCW, SEIU um, and the Teamsters and Operating Engineers 399, along with the AFL-CIO, um, really pushed to have labor standards built into the law going forward. And so for uh, any type of license that's being applied, we just finished up dispensary applications uh, last month. In two weeks, we're going to finish the um, craft grow infusion processing transportation license application period. Those licenses for the new set of um, owners and operators are going to get uh, rolled out starting on May 1st. And in all of those, there's an incentive for an employer, for an applicant, to go with a pro-labor position, um, a pro-worker position at the outset, because they actually get more points in their overall uh, application. So we had in the dispensary... Um, they, there is incentive in the law called um, a labor peace agreement, and it's written into the section of labor and workforce um, that you are literally graded on within your application on behalf of the state um, that says if you agree to good living wages, health care, retirement, you know, stable scheduling, um, and a labor relationship, you're going to get X amount of points towards your overall application. Mm -hmm. In the dispensary round, there was around 4,000 applications that were put in for 75 licenses. Our union executed labor peace agreements with over 1,700 of those and over 350 uh, companies. Mm -hmm. A majority of the companies signed labor peace agreement, which really just says we're going to be neutral in any union effort, be that led by a union organizing or let, you know worker-led. We're not going to oppose it. In some cases, we'll outright support it. In other words, and neutral means, in the, in the case going back to the, the one that was contested, they would not contest the right of growers 
to be in a union. Yeah. They would not take make a a, uh, a grandstand against it. Uh, by the way, it's, they don't I'm have just, to be out there waving the flag saying you got to go union, but. It, it is your decision, and ideally, it wouldn't even go to a uh, you know an NLRB vote mm-hmm. or an election. It would be we would go to them and say, "Here's our majority cards. You can match it up against your employer list." We always say we can bring in a priest or a politician to be a third party. <laughs> um, I don't know who trusts which on that end, but um, you know to literally like match it up against your you know employee manifest. Yeah. And if we've got the majority, save everybody time and money. Just allow for the bargaining unit to exist, and we'll file and we'll move to the bargaining. Do you table. have any idea how much they had to pay their lawyer? A lot. It's not a cheap firm. So, I, I, we, I'm sure we'll be able to figure it out at some point. Well, I'm but. just saying, you said there's a third difference. So if you had to, you know, pay $100 to your workers or $133 to your worker, how about that quick math, huh? Uh, and uh, I'm sure they spent almost as much on that law firm fighting this. Yeah. This is what I don't understand. It's, Zach, I, I, I'm not really seeing like in the long term what benefit they gain. Yeah, because follow me on this. If the Democrats prevail in 2020, if a Democrat, mm-hmm. be it Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or Michael Bloomberg or Peter Buttigieg, take your favorite Amy Klobuchar. I don't want to forget anybody on that stage. Biden. Uh, Joey B. Joe Biden. Uh, it prevails. I know there's going to be a different makeup yeah. of the NLRB, and I get you got a feeling your union will go right back to it. Uh, to demand that growers be allowed uh, to um, form a union. Do you think they'll still resist you if, if, if they know that there's going to be a losing vote at the NLRB because the Democrats will have appointed new yeah, members? A majority the of the board, yeah. 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 Um, they very well could. I mean, again, that's the, that's the sad uh, reality is that ag workers um, federally are not recognized as workers with labor rights. Um, and that you know, hasn't changed under Democrat or Republican um, administrations, where there would be a different approach to it would be um, kind of the precedent setting. How many times do you as an employer want to be before what is inherently going to be a more pro-worker board mm-hmm. um, on, you know, various uh, disputes? Um, that's a cost-benefit analysis an employer would have to make. Um, but, you know, certainly at other states, uh, there are ag worker boards that govern um, and oversee a agricultural workforce, just like they do with teachers and cops and firefighters and prison guards in the public sector here. Um, Illinois is a state that does not have uh, a labor board for ag workers, despite agriculture being the largest you know, industry in the state still um, to this day. Um, you know, but we feel like we're gonna be in a good position to say this isn't like an esoteric thing that's happening. The legislature and the governor very, um, you know, progressively drew up a law that has a lot of really good stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And now that it's actually in effect, as with any very complex 600 page some law, um, we're starting to find some, you know, bumps in the road and kinks in the um, hose uh, in its rollout. Mm-hmm. And so this is one that, you know, we're just saying, hey, it, it could happen. It's happened twice. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're going to be in a good position to say this law was uh, drawn up and passed ultimately with labor support. I do not think um, cannabis uh, legalization would have passed had organized labor not given it our stamp of approval and actually very aggressively lobbied on its behalf. It was passed with labor standards in there. And on March or on, on May 1st, there's going to be the cleaving of the industry, those that were before yeah. and those that are after. And those that are after have a real incentive to be much more pro-union or at least neutrality uh, towards a union effort 
um, than those that were there before. By the way, I don't know if you know the answer to this question that just popped in my mind while I was listening to you, because this stuff happened long before you you were around. But how did the farm workers in California with Cesar Chavez have the, the wherewithal, the right to organize into a union if agriculture workers are not... Uh, allowed to do so. They have a state board for ag workers. So again, similarly to what um, cops, firefighters, nurses, public sector workers have, because again, public sector workers were not brought into the National Labor Relations Act as well. So then each state set up a public sector labor board that governs, again, disputes, elections, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, and, and just allows that workforce to have a union right. So if J.B. Pritzker and the Democrats put together a state board governing agriculture workers, it would circumvent the NLRB and uh, and and <laughs> all these uh, uh, dispensary operators, the owners, would have to go before uh, the Illinois board. and You could draw it up in a bunch of different ways. You trot could say, out their arguments yeah. for that board. Yeah, Good luck, could, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you could say, um, I mean, and our governor is wonderfully pro-labor. We've been a strong supporter of his, mm-hmm. even when he ran against um, Jan Schakowsky for Congress. Um, we endorsed him. Um, but were you we were, around for that? You're, you were I wasn't. Too young. Uh, I, I was not, but my union and my uh, union's leadership definitely was. And so we've had a long and very productive and uh, fruitful relationship for with the governor. 10 trivia points, who was the third candidate in that race? Was the third? Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. I can't believe I know Howie Carroll. Oh, yeah, yeah. State senator at the time, right? <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, David Sirota worked for him. I always tease him. David Sirota is a, um, a press aide to Bernie Sanders. He's a total lefty. Yeah. But and back then in some. the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that, back in the day, he was working for the machine. Howie Carroll. There you go. Next time you see David Sirota, go, hey, David, how was that Howie Carroll job? All right. You know, go, All hey, that's not funny. But yeah, I mean, there's different ways that you could set up that approach. Um, you know, mm-hmm. would it be the entire cannabis industry would fall under that board? Would it be, um, uh, you know, just agricultural workers? And then obviously then, you know, it would yeah. be a smaller slice of that. But obviously then that brings in a lot of other players to the table. Uh, last I checked, you know, again, ag is still the number one economy in the state of Illinois. So there's a lot of yeah. agricultural companies and workers out there. No, that would be, you're right. There would be so much wheeling dealing going on in Springfield, like who gets in and who gets out on this uh, agriculture board. Some industries would have the inside advantage. They would probably, in the middle of the night, get uh, cut out of the deal. I could just see this thing yeah. going down. It's a whole other story I'm envisioning. But it's not to say that it's always static that it's without. New York just last year mm-hmm. opened up, uh, you know, and set up a similar uh, setup to have ag workers in New York um, covered, you know, with a board. I, I just, uh, well, we're going to take a break after this and, and switch to national politics, have a little national political discussion with Zach, who is an Elizabeth Warren delegate. We'll talk about that. But I just, I'll just uh, close with this. Uh, a um, The cannabis industry is a growing industry. It's, it's thriving. A lot of people are going to like a lot of money. God bless you. It's America. It's capitalism, et cetera. But the movement itself to legalize cannabis, to legalize reefer, Uh, that is now going to make people a lot of money came out of people standing up to the injustices Uh, and and that's what motivated it okay so it's the guys i just think about that you you're you're on the backs of people you didn't just get there where you're just now you're just rolling into cash there were a lot of people who were fighting for the legalization of reefer and they were doing it based on things like there's got to be a more equitable, fair yeah. way to do it. There's going to be a whole, I mean, our argument, labor's argument was equity and expungement. Obviously, this disproportionately affects working people. Those um, that bore the brunt of, you know, I mean, I was smoking 
weed when I lived in Naperville, but I was a suburban white kid. I wasn't getting popped uh, by cops, but if you're you're a, a black kid in you know Chicago, you very likely were. And then the diminutive effects that it has on your entire life going forward that needed to be right, you know, righted. And yeah. and, and I'm so excited that it is incredible leaders like Kim Fox and the governor and um, Kelly Cassidy and Toy Hutchinson and Heather Staines and uh, leader Gordon Booth set that process now in motion, Mm -hmm. you know, to get that done. Uh, But we always said as labor, then you need to make sure that the, um, that gigantic pool of money that's going to be created for a lot of really already pretty well off um, white owners also then trickles down to what we think is going to be a larger, much larger, much more dispersed group of workers. And imagine the incredible impacts that when this cannabis industry, which, you know, studies uh, here looking at anywhere from 60 to 65,000 workers in Illinois, that's a domestic market mm-hmm. of jobs. Imagine the good that that could be if they all have living wages, solid health care, a retirement that you can you know, per, you know, rely on, a voice on the job, and an opportunity and a pathway from turning that job into a career, mm-hmm. and then the ripple effect that that has in those communities and for those families. So the labor movement is in this space. If you're a cannabis worker currently, if you're an applicant, go to ilcannabisunions.com, and that's ilcannabisunions.com, um, and you can see exactly how uh, the labor movement in Illinois is approaching this industry and giving a voice and an opportunity for cannabis workers to stand up and make sure that their job is one worth having. All right. That's Zach Kowski talking about uh, unionizing uh, cannabis workers. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, Zach Kowski as a Warren delegate and the race for president. We'll be right back after this. This is Ben Jarofsky. And this is Maya Dukmasova. And this is the Chicago Reader's Backroom Deal. And we're talking about the presidential election in Illinois. That's right. The top of the ballot on March 17th. Um, Most important thing to know about this is that the purpose of the voting for the presidential nominee, whether you're in the Democratic Party and you have a Democratic Party ballot or a Republican Party ballot, is so that the state can assign its delegates in order to actually select the nominee. Mm -hmm. On the Republican side, it's going to be pretty simple. Presumably, Donald Trump is going to be the Republican Party nominee. On the Democratic side, as we all know, there's a slew of candidates, and the Democratic Party nationally has to pick who their nominee is going to be to run against Donald Trump. So, Ben, let's just explain to folks what delegates are, how they're assigned, and what their vote on their ballot on March 17th will actually mean for the process of selecting a Democratic nominee to run against Trump. All right. Well, the delegates are the party representatives who uh, show up at the the convention, the Democratic convention in Milwaukee, and they get to vote uh, on who they want the Democratic nominee to be to go up. And what you just what, what you just heard there was the latest backroom deal episode. Who were the delegates? Ben Jarofsky and Maya Dukmasva unpack all of that. Are the newest backroom deal season season number three? They're in. Mm-hmm. They're available now at ChicagoReader.com. Go check those out. That was just a little sample of what you'll get there. Uh, and also uh, the latest France. Spielman show on chicago.suntimes.com. Well, she had a, one of Ben's favorite people, former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel, was on the program <laughs> talking with Fran Spielman. <laughs> yeah, Ben's neighbor. Oh, he didn't God. say anything about being Ben's neighbor, believe uh, it or not. No, he didn't say it. No, Should he I didn't. give a shout out to me? Yeah, he, no. did, he did not. No. Uh, but no, they talk about uh, his new book. Ben, what are your thoughts on Rahm's new book? <laughs> he, it's a book. 
It's, it's got a cover. And it's a book. A couple pages. It's, it's got a book. Yeah. The real issue, did Rom write the book? <laughs> ah, the jury's still out on that one. Now, I don't know if Ben would go suggesting you listen to it, but I am. Go check it out. It's the latest Franz Spielman show. Uh, every week, a brand new episode at Chicago.SunTimes.com. This week, yes, former Chicago mayor Rom Emanuel. Hey, who knows? You may uh, end up buying a new book at the end of that interview. You just might. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Ben Jarofsky, take us home. All right, Zach Kowski. Uh, you were talking. Uh, we were talking about uh, delegates, and you are running as a Warren delegate in the fifth congressional district, northwest side of Chicago. So first, let's talk why Warren. Uh, I mean, I just think you know the senator from Massachusetts has just been the most consistent in my mind and effective in diagnosing the problem that faces working families, and not just as a Johnny Come Lately convert to um, you know tearing off the um, premise that the economy's never been better, you know, that the president's putting out there, but that this is systematic generational um, corruption that has skewed the economy towards those um, at the top. And she actually has plans and ideas on how to um, write that. And really, I mean, she has, I think, the best ability to diagnose that this is a power uh, issue and who has the power. And for a long time, it's been aided and abetted, I would argue, by both parties to skew that more and more towards those already with a lot of power and means. Um, and away from middle class and working class families. And so I think she's just going to be the most effective advocate that we've got uh, to start bending that back towards workers. All right. We were talking about Ram uh, being in the studio on the Fran Spielman show. Uh, and uh, we've talked a lot in the studio about how there's sort of two visions of where the Democratic Party should go and what how the Democratic Party uh, should uh be victorious. One is the Rom view of the world. One is the the Ben Jarofsky view of the world. The Rom view of the world is that uh, people of the leftist persuasion should pretty much just shut up, fall in line, vote for whoever the Democrats uh, put up, no matter regardless of whether they agree with them uh, on a wide range of issues. Because what's really absolutely important is that we win over swing voters who might be otherwise likely to vote Republican. That's generally the Rom point of view. He says that's what what's worked uh, when uh, Barack Obama was elected what worked when Billy Clinton was elected, what worked when the Dems took back the Congress in 2018. My point of view is that uh, the Democratic Party cannot afford uh, to ignore its base, cannot afford to take them for granted. Uh, And then when they move too far to the right or too far to the center on issues, they end up alienating their base. And so people come to the conclusion, what's the point of even voting? What's the point of even participating? They've sold me out before I even got here. And so what the Democratic Party should do is try uh, to get as many people as it can in the traditional who are, would be Democratic voters uh, to vote uh, and uh, and get more people to show up than ever before, uh, uh, sign up new voters, et cetera, and so forth. Rom says that's completely unrealistic and it's a losing strategy. What's your opinion about that? I mean, opinion? I think you have to do both. Um, I mean, we lost, you know, the election in three across three states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin by a combined 78,000 votes. Mm-hmm. And um, that was in large part because our base didn't show up, right? And you can argue on the tactics of the campaign that Clinton uh, led, but I think you can also argue on um, the the values and the vision that she put forward that wasn't motivating enough. Now, obviously, you were also aided, Trump was aided and abetted by Russia and a whole host of horrible characters, you know, putting their thumb on the scale for him. Um, but 
you know, I think you need to make sure that the base has a reason to get out and vote for you and do so enthusiastically. But I also think you need to make sure that we're not throwing Lauren Underwood and Sean Caston uh, under the bus and Betsy Dirksen Langergan down in uh, central Illinois uh, under the bus either, that you've got to show that there is a reason that people that might not be your base or even minimally inclined to vote for you can feel comfortable with you because you're giving, you know, credence to their position and their approach to this. But I think uh, first and foremost, you know, like, it, it was a razor's edge election by which Trump won the electoral college, um, not the certainly not the popular vote. And we need to make sure that that base alone has reason to get out for you. But I also think you need to make sure that you're not. And this is kind of where I, I frankly differ uh, than with Bernie Sanders right now is that you're not there to just, you know, flip the table and say, you know, we're all walking out. Some people still want to be at the table um, on that end. And so I think you've got to, you know, persuasion and uh, base motivation. And that's why it's a tough job to have. You've got to be a good politician to do both. But I, and again, that's why I think Elizabeth Warren, uh, in my mind, not the union's uh, official position, but in my mind, um, is uh, such a compelling candidate. A very good, important distinction to make. Zach does not speak for the union. He speaks for Zach yeah. uh, and Zach only. Uh, do you think Bernie's gone too far and, and has alienated uh, the ROMs of the world, of the and so that there's no reconciliation possible. I don't know if Bernie's alienated Rom or Rom's alienated Bernie. You could probably make an argument for both on that. Yeah. But um, no, I don't. I mean, I I actually think you know uh, Sanders and Warren, and Biden, I think uh, to uh, another uh, extent there occupy some of that real fertile territory of people that we lost to Trump, right? Um, that, you know, the traditionalist um, base of the party is an unequivocal voice for workers, not, you know, I mean, the Bloomberg, you know, not a, uh, not a socialist, bring in the boss ball cap, like, dear God, could that be more tone deaf for the moment we end? Like, I've never in my position met a voter that's like, you know what would be better if I hired my boss as president? Like, no. Um, so yeah. I like, you know, I think that we can, we can occupy some of that territory that Trump stole from us. But I also think then too, you've got to have a vision of what it looks like once you remove the threat of Trump yeah. and where we go, you know, in the four and hopefully next eight years. All right. And, and one more point on that. Every time we talk on the show about uh, the, the Bloomberg hat, let me just remind folks, he's charging you for the hat. <laughs> he's the eighth wealthiest man <laughs> in the world. And he's charging you for the hat that basically says, give away your rights to the boss. I'm like, yeah. There's a sucker born every day in this country. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think it was real when I saw it. I was like, no way. Like, and, and then, oh, I, shit. Our, our good friend Joanna sent it to me, and um, I sent her back. Is this a joke? This, yeah. th you're, you, this is not real, right? Yeah. And he was <laughs> real, man. Yeah. He must yeah. think people are stupid. Well, yeah. Uh, may it work for him in New York. Uh, all right, Zach. Uh, one more time, tell folks. Um, okay, because Dennis has an update. Before we go to Dennis's update, tell folks if they want to get in touch with your union or if they want to learn more about cannabis workers' rights, give them the information. Uh, visit IL Cannabis Unions, that's plural, ILCannabisUnions.com. And you, if you are an applicant in the next two weeks applying for a license, um, or if you're a worker in the industry now or want to be, uh, go there. You can see all what we're about and the benefits of uh, going union, both for your application process, but certainly uh, for your day to day if you're a worker. So ILCannabisUnions.com. All right. Very good. And D, you got an update for Thanks us? For Absolutely. Two updates before we get out of here. First off, hey, no one ever said Trump supporters were professional football fans. OK, uh, Garth Brooks, country music legend. Did you hear about this? Ben? No, I, country he, music legend. I know Garth he's Brooks. a huge fan. You're a huge fan of him. Oh, he's the Michael Jackson of country music. Music, all right. Can He's he a dance? superstar. 
Well, no. Well, Michael Jackson could dance. Okay, well. (laughs) Just saying. Country music legend Garth Brooks was performing in Detroit, Michigan, after the country singer posted a picture of himself in a Barry Sanders, uh, Detroit Lions legend, Barry Sanders, my favorite football player, after the country singer posted a picture of himself in a Barry Sanders jersey on Instagram, some of those of the MAGA persuasion, by the way, that's a bull's hat, not a MAGA hat that Ben's wearing, Uh, some some of the uh, MAGA persuasion went a little crazy, Uh, at least one calling him, Garth Brooks, a big freaking liberal socialist, because Sanders was on the back of his jersey. You have got to be kidding. (laughs) No. I swear, they, they should just take Twitter away from people. Because I could pin on the White House first. I, but yeah. Just unbelievable. They thought that he was talking about Senator Sanders? They thought he was talking about uh, Bernie Sanders, but he was wearing a Barry Sanders jersey. That coming? I, 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 I think they lose voting rights. I, that's, that, yeah, okay. <laughs> that is unbelievable. I don't know what to say other than that. Come on, Trumpsters out there, MAGA hat wearers. I defend you from time to time, okay? But you're really making it hard for me to defend you. That's Barry Sanders, one of the greatest running backs in the history of the NFL. People, if you aren't aware and you're a football fan, obviously you know Barry Sanders. But if not, if you're a millennial or a gin... It's no Gale Sayers. All right, this will tell you that, young man. Whoa, okay. okay now. He's no Gale Sayers, Kansas Comet. Pride and joy the Chicago Bears, okay? No sport. Muddy Field, Wrigley Field. Here comes Gale Sayers, six touchdowns. But All he's right. pretty good, but he's no Gale Sayers. And our final story of the day here. It seems like it's uh, today's top story here. Uh, Columbus Day Gate. <laughs> Nick Spazzato, my dear friend. The following, co- your mind. <laughs> the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman. Check mm-hmm. out uh, this week's Fran Spielman show. I know Ben's going to be listening to it like I will listen to it. I listened to it when Ron was on the last time. (laughs) Mayor Lori Lightfoot said today that she has no plans to duplicate at the city level what her hand-picked school board just did, replacing Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. Here's the quote from Mayor Lightfoot. Quote, I do think we've got a lot more to make sure that we are aware and sensitive of the history, but I absolutely have no plans to support any elimination of Columbus Day at the city level. Yeah, you know what the rest of the quote was? Habita, habita, habita. Because, <laughs> like, that's called putting the mayor in a tough position, all right? Lightfoot noted that for a number of years, the Chicago public schools yeah. have essentially celebrated both Columbus Day and Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, she, quote, thought that made sense. The mayor was not asked, nor did she explain why. If she thought a shared holiday made sense, her handpicked school board uh, forged ahead with the change that has infuriated Italian-American aldermen and civic groups. All right, I just say, my suggestion is... Uh, Swap out Columbus Day for Nick's Posado Day. I think everyone in Chicago could get behind that one and be just celebrate my man Nick Posado, one of my favorite aldermen uh, for the pride and joy of the Northwest Side. Have a good weekend, everybody. All right, I want to thank uh, Zach Kowski. I want to thank Monica Gordon and Romana Hussein. Great show. Uh, all of them did a, a wonderful job. But of course, got to thank this man right here, Zach Kowski. You got to know this the man, the myth. The legend. Barry Sanders. The pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. And back home in Alton, they call him White Lightning. Yes, sir. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you next week, everybody. Uh, Shout out to Jay Marie. Uh, No to Nick Spazzato Day. Hard pass. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and BDJ bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcasts. 
Downloaders, we live stream this show Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time. Chicago Sun Times, Chicago Reader websites, and the Chicago Sun Times YouTube channel. Join that YouTube channel and you will be able to join the live stream chat. Weigh in on Columbus Day Gate, Garth Brooks, the Bernie Sanders lover, apparently, and so much more. We'll see you Tuesday. Take a chill pill, man. That's correct.